0: With you on this Palm Sunday, I want you to turn with me to Luke's Gospel and the 19th chapter. This is Palm Sunday, and so I wanted to share with you a passage of Scripture that records the triumphant entry of Jesus Christ into Jerusalem. We're in Luke's Gospel and the 19th chapter. We begin reading in verse 28. Now he has just finished reading, a, a, giving a parable. To them, and it says, when he had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. And it came to pass, when he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany, at the mountain called Olivet, that he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village opposite you, whereas you enter, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever set. Loose it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you why are you loosing it, thus shall you say to him, Because the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went their way and found it, just as he said to them. But as they were loosing the colt, the owners of it said to them, Why are you loosing the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of him. And then they brought him to Jesus. And they threw their own clothes on the colt, and they set Jesus on him. And as he went, many spread their clothes on the road. Then as he was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works which they had seen, saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. Now as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, If you had known, even you, especially in this, your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you, and close you in on every side, and level you and your children within you to the ground. And they will not leave in you one stone upon another, because you did not know the time of your Visitation. I want to speak to you on this Palm Sunday on a subject entitled, Don't Miss Your Day. Let's pray. Father in heaven, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. I ask for your anointing to preach the word of God. Open our eyes to behold wonderful things from your law. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, we open up here uh, in Luke 19, but I want to give you a little bit of context. This was no ordinary day. The prophet Malachi had, prophes- had prophesied that John the Baptist, the messenger, would come to prepare the way of the Lord. And in Malachi, he says, the Lord will suddenly come into his temple. Zechariah had prophesied that the Lord would come riding in on a donkey. In the ninth chapter of Daniel, Daniel was given a prophecy. He was given a word from the angel Gabriel. And he was told that there would be these 70 weeks determined upon the people of Israel. And for exactly 483 years after the commandment came to restore Jerusalem from King Artaxerxes, the Lord came precisely to present Himself to the nation of Israel on the 10th day of the month, Nisan, where the lambs were to be presented for the Passover. Now this is Passover season, and there were many people in Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover feast. And here Christ is presenting Himself, and... We're going to look at him commissioning the donkey. But I want you to keep in mind that, uh, that this is an important time period that uh, the historian Josephus recorded that not this particular Passover, but one uh, close by, that there were nearly 256,000 lambs that were slaughtered for the Passover. So uh, assuming there were about 10 people per lamb, which was common, in that time, we're talking about almost two million people were in this little small uh, space of real estate. Can you imagine that? Two, two million people had come to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. And so uh, there's this throng of people. There's always this great uh, political zeal, this messianic fervor that would be in the minds and the hearts of the people. They're expecting the Messiah to come to deliver them. Uh, the Romans who were occupying Israel, they were on edge, always wondering if there would be a political uh, uprising. The Pharisees were terrified uh, because they didn't want anything uh, to to disrupt their power. They didn't want any revolt against Rome because then it would be they could possibly be removed from power, and that's all they were concerned with was was uh, self-preservation. And so, uh, Christ is coming. Uh, the city's packed with people, and so he's presenting himself now. It says that he, uh, he, he came to Bethphage and Bethany. Now, they are roughly about two miles from Jerusalem. He has finally come to the, the apex or the zenith of His ministry. His hour was upon Him. The, the, the very reason that He came to earth was to die on Calvary's cross. It wasn't simply to do miracles. It wasn't simply to teach kingdom concepts or principles. He came to die on Calvary's cross. He came to die on Passover. And that's why the timing of this is is very important. Now, it says when he came near that he gave some instructions when he came to the, uh, the Mount of Olives. And he sent two of his disciples. Now, we're not told which two they are. Perhaps it was Peter and John. We don't really know. But he sent two of his disciples. And we see here the omniscience of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, I want you to go into this village opposite you. Uh, most commentators believe it was probably Faji, because Bethany was where he would often resort. That's where Mary, his friends, uh, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus lived were in Bethany. And he would spend the night there on, on this particular uh, night too. But he says, go into the village. He says, you're going to find a colt tied. Now, uh, Matthew tells us that there's a mother donkey too. And so there's two, there's the mother and the colt. And, and I, I would invite you also to look. Every gospel writer records the message of, of the triumphant entry. So I want you to compare Luke's gospel with uh, Matthew, Mark, and John. And, and they each add a little different uh, detail and flavor to the story, to the narrative. And he says, You're going to go into this village. He says, You're going to find a colt tied. And he says, On which no one has ever said, Well, how does he know this? Because he's God. How does he know where the colt is? Because he's God in the flesh. Now, I know some commentators will say, well, he had, he had worked this out beforehand uh, with, with the owner of the colt, and you know, there's no violation to the narrative if we take that approach. But is it inconceivable to believe that God, that he knows all things, he knows the end from the beginning. You know, He knew exactly where to tell the disciples where they needed to fish, where they would let down their net and catch a great draft of fish. He knew exactly where to tell Peter to find a fish with a piece of money in his mouth. He knew exactly how to feed the 5,000. He knew how to take a few loaves and a few fishes. And so he's instructing these disciples to go here. And he says, you're going to find this colt tied on which no one has ever sat. This donkey has been prepared from the foundation of the world. And he is only to have one rider to ride him for the very first time. And that would be the creator of the universe. Oh, hallelujah. The donkey would be the only obedient one, really, in the story. But the donkey uh, is found, and he's never had anyone ride him before. But how many of you know Jesus is able to, to calm this donkey, even though he's never been ridden before? He's able to, to master him, to control him for this, uh, this processional into the city of Jerusalem for his coronation as king. I believe that he uh, is Lord of, over heaven and earth. He's Lord over the fishes of the sea, the fowls of the air, and all the cattle on a thousand hills. And he says, if anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Why are you loosing it? Then you will say, say to him, because the Lord has need of it. So notice Christ has already predicted where the colt is. He's, uh, he's predicted the, uh, the condition of the colt. He's, he's never been ridden before. Uh, he tells them that, that there's going to be a question. He anticipates that the owners are going to ask a question. And then he tells them what to say. Now imagine if Christ had given you those instructions. <laughs> Suppose Jesus had told you to go into, a, into the next town and it, you're going to find a car there. Uh, let's say it's a Mustang. I love Mustangs. And let's say Jesus said you're going to see a red Mustang. And I want you to, uh, to, 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 to open the door and get in the car and crank it up. And if anybody asks you, why are you doing this? Well, you just tell them that the Lord needs the Mustang. If you try that, let me know how it works out for you. That's fun, isn't it? But I want you to notice it says that they went their way. And guess what? They found it just as he had said to them. That comes as no surprise to us as believers. When God says it, you can settle it. It's done. I love what, uh, what Mary says when they had run out of wine at the wedding feast in Canaan of Galilee. She says to the attendant, she says, whatever he says to you, do it. And that's good instructions for us too. And they found it. And as they're loosing the colt, guess what happens? The owners say to him, why are you doing this? And then they said to him, The Lord has need of him. And they brought him to Jesus. Notice when God gives you the instructions, you don't have to worry about how it's going to work out. God has already, already taken care of all the details. And I want to say to you that God has taken care of the details of your life. That's why he says we don't need to be worried. We don't need to be anxious. We don't need to be fearful because God has taken care of every detail of your life. The very hairs of your head have been numbered. God knows you intimately. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. God is Lord over all creation. Now, it says they brought him to Jesus. And it says that they brought him and they threw their clothes on the colt and they set Jesus on him. This was uh, this was a symbol of, of them... Uh, obeying him as Lord they're, they're enthroning him as king now I don't want you to think that that any of this happened by accident I don't want you to get the idea that well Jesus just decided one day that he wanted to ride a donkey into Jerusalem no he picked this donkey on this particular day in this particular place because he has a mission and that mission is to go to Jerusalem and to die on the cross and rise again. And this was predicted by Zechariah. If you want to look in your Bible, I'm not going to flip back there. I've got it printed out here on a sheet for me. But in Zechariah 9:9, it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey. A colt, the foal of a donkey. Now, uh some might say well uh why is he riding a donkey now there is biblical precedent for kings riding donkeys when when david was getting old and it was time to anoint solomon as king he instructed uh his his emissaries to place solomon upon his mule and that he would be anointed that, that he would ride in on david's mule so david it was not uncommon for kings to ride mules but also it's uh, it's important to note that when a king rode a mule that it was a symbol of peace he was coming to uh, to show to extend terms of peace now Jesus will come again on a horse he will come in Revelation 19 but he's going to come as a conqueror he's going to come on a white horse and he's going to make war with the enemies of God but this time he comes as a king of peace and he will be rejected but it's no accident Jesus is fulfilling prophecy By coming in on this particular day. Now keep in mind also that in times past, Jesus had not uh, allowed public celebration or public uh, rejoicing of him. When he fed the multitudes uh, with the loaves and fishes, remember they wanted to make him a king, and he refused to allow him. Many times when he would heal people, he would say, don't tell anyone. Can you imagine how difficult that would have been if God had healed you of blindness? And then all of a sudden you run into your friend and they say, hey, what happened? I heard you got healed of your blindness. And you say, well, I can't tell you about it. Or maybe someone who had been paralyzed and Christ had given them their, uh, their ability to walk again. And then they would run into their friends and they'd say, well, well, what happened? And you would say, well, I can't tell you. That would have been tough. But the reason Jesus discouraged people from publicly uh, talking about him is because he did not want to incite the anger of the religious people of that day until It was the proper time, you see. Jesus was supposed to die on Passover uh, on this particular time because He is the Lamb of God. And this was the only time. There were many times where the Scripture says uh, that people tried to kill Him, but His hour had not yet come. And so God did not allow this to happen. But now He allows uh, people to publicly worship Him. He's making the, uh, the unmistakable entry. Into the city, as a fulfillment of biblical prophecy. Now, Luke doesn't tell us about the palm branches, but we know that palm branches also uh, were strewn in the way, and that's why it's called Palm Sunday. The palm branches to represent the uh, the coming, the anticipation of royalty, and they spread their clothes. Now it says, as he was drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice. And praise God with a loud voice. Let me say that again. They praise God with a loud voice. This is the quietest world you'll ever live in. If you go to heaven, the people are rejoicing. The angels are rejoicing and praising God. If you go to hell, there's weeping, wailing, and gnashing of teeth. They praise God with a loud voice. They glorified God. And notice what they said. They said, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Now, we know they're quoting from Psalm 118. Now, Matthew tells us also that they're crying Hosanna, literally in the Hebrew, Yashana, which means save us now. They're saying save us now, and they also call him son of David, which is a messianic title. They're saying son of David, save us now, son of David, Hosanna, Yashana, save us now, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They're quoting Psalm 118. Now here the irony is they say peace in heaven. Now when Luke opens this gospel and there is the multitude of the heavenly hosts, what do they say? Peace on earth and goodwill toward men. But now they can only say peace in heaven because they would reject their Messiah. Right now there is a conflict between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. The only way to have peace with God is through the Lord Jesus Christ now. We now have peace with God through the atonement which we have received through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so they're quoting Psalm 118. And no doubt they envision that Jesus is going to march into Jerusalem and that he is going to deliver them from Rome. They want a Messiah, but they don't want a Savior. They want a political deliverer, but they don't want to be delivered from their real problem, which is the, the domination and the dominion of sin. Now, we've seen the presentation. We've seen the, uh, the coronation, the celebration. Now we see the consternation. Notice it says in verse 39 that some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd and said, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Now, why? <laughs> I think it's funny. They realize the situation is out of hand. Uh, many commentators believe there was probably 100,000 people who were chanting out, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The Pharisees knew they were totally out of control, and so all they could do was call on Jesus to try to, 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 try to settle them down. But that didn't work. They understood that the people were quoting Psalm 118. They understood that, Je- that Jesus was being coronated as king, and indeed, he is king of kings and Lord of lords. But Jesus answered them, and he said, I tell you, if these should hold their peace, the rocks would cry out. That's amazing. He said, if they would hold their peace, if they would be silent, the rocks would cry out. If the crowds had completely stopped praising God, and by the way, Israel has been silent now for almost 2,000 years. They've not been praising their Messiah. But if they had kept quiet that day, It would have been the earth's first rock concert. Sorry, I couldn't resist. But Jesus said the rocks would cry out. Now, hang on this for just a moment. I'm going to come back to it at the end of this discourse. God has created all of creation to praise and glorify Him. We were created to give God glory. And to to praise and adore Him. And to magnify Him. And to glorify Him with our lives. It says in verse 41... Now, as he drew near, as he, one more word about the Pharisees, by the way, these guys that are so upset, the Pharisees, and you can read about this in Matthew 26, the Pharisees had initially planned to kill Jesus after the feast. They did not want an uproar, they wanted him dead, but they weren't going to try to kill him uh, during the feast because a lot of people were following him. Remember, if you know your Bible, now, uh, he's come uh, from Bethany and Bethphagy. Well, who lived in Bethany? Well, a man named Lazarus, whom Jesus had just raised from the dead. He had also just healed blind Bartimaeus and another blind man. And so, uh, no doubt, the people are there not only because of Jesus, but because of the miracles that he's done. After all, here's a man who has power over death. Jesus has raised Lazarus from the dead. And so they fully expect that he's going to come in and he is going to take over. But the Pharisees couldn't kill him because it wasn't time for him to die after the Passover, like they wanted to. Jesus was going to die precisely on the 14th day of the month of Nisan. He was presented on the 10th day, Palm Sunday, and he would die on the 14th day. He would die on Passover. Now, as Jesus gets near to the city, it must have been a breathtaking view. Scripture says that he wept. He wept over the city. Notice the stark contrast. The crowds are rejoicing. They are hailing him. They are so happy. They're saying, Hosanna, Yoshana. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Save us, O God. They're happy. The Pharisees are miserable. But aren't they always? But Jesus is weeping. Why does he weep? Well, the text is going to tell us. Now, one thing about this, this is the second time that Jesus, the scripture says that Jesus wept. The first time is when Lazarus uh, died. But this is a different Greek word here that's used. The word is klaiō. klyo, to weep. But this means to wail aloud rather than to cry silently. Literally, Jesus was sobbing over Jerusalem. Now, why is Jesus sobbing while the crowds are rejoicing? Well, let me suggest some answers for you. He's looking around. First of all, he's looking back. He's looking back at the failure of Israel as a nation to recognize their Messiah. Time and time again, God had given them opportunity, all the way from the the earliest days in Egypt to coming out, Wandering in the wilderness to coming into the promised land to being carried away captive in Babylon, and now finally they're missing their true visitation from God. The dayspring from on high has come to them. He's looking back, he's also looking at the religious leaders. We're not going to get to this today, but the next thing that happens after Jesus uh, rides in on the donkey is he goes into the temple. And he cleanses the temple because it has become utterly corrupt and morally bankrupt. And he also curses the fig tree, which represents Israel and their religious system. So he weeps over the the condition of the temple of God. But also, he weeps about the future. He looks forward. Because he is God, he knows exactly what's going to happen. And notice what he says. Several things are going to happen. He says, your enemies will come upon you. They will build an embankment around you. They'll surround you. They'll close you in on every side. They'll level you and your children within you to the ground. And they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. Jesus is seeing into the future. And he knows that in 70 AD, the Roman Emperor Titus would come in. He would, siege. He would, he would surround the nation of Israel For over 100, I think it's over 150 days, they would march in. A lot of the people would die of starvation. But there would be almost 600,000 Jews that would die in this siege. Over half a million of the Israelites would die. The temple would be destroyed. Not one stone would be left upon another. Don't miss this. Remember earlier Jesus said if they hold their peace, the rocks would cry out. The rocks did cry out. The stones were thrown down from the temple, and they stood as a witness that Israel had rejected their Messiah. The rocks did cry out. So what is the application for us? Well, there's a lot of applications that we can draw. There's a lot of inferences here. But I want you to understand, first of all, that the Lord came. He presented Himself in this particular time period in accordance with biblical prophecy. I didn't say much about Daniel's prophecy. I, did, I said a little bit about it. But he came just as Malachi had predicted, tore into his holy temple. Just as Zechariah had prophesied, he comes in riding on a donkey. And just as the, Daniel, the prophet Daniel had foretold, that 483 years from the, uh, the precise time that the, de- the decree was made, To rebuild Jerusalem. That Jesus Christ presents himself to his people on the 10th day of Nisan in this year. Bible prophecy will be fulfilled. And I want to say this to you. Just as every prophecy concerning Jesus' first advent. Just as every prophecy concerning the crucifixion and the resurrection. And even this Palm Sunday was fulfilled in precise detail. The Lord will come again. Now, we don't have a specific day like Daniel did. We we, we are told that no man knows the day or the hour, but the Lord is coming again, and I believe it's sooner than many of us might think. We can see the signs all around us that Bible prophecy is being fulfilled, and the Lord is going to come again, and only those that are ready will go with Him in the rapture. Those that are not ready, those who don't know the Lord, they will be left behind to suffer the awful horrors of the tribulation. But I want to say to you this, even... Even if you don't live to see the return of Jesus in your lifetime, your life and my life is a vapor. We're here for a little time, and then we vanish away. The coronavirus may not get us, but one day we're gonna leave this world, either by way of rapture or by way of death. And the question will be, did you realize your day of visitation? You know, the Bible never promises us tomorrow. God never says tomorrow, get right with God. The invitation is always today. So I wanna ask you today, don't miss the day of your visitation. Don't miss the window of opportunity. Because as every day goes by, the window of opportunity narrows. It gets narrower and narrower. And one day, the door will be shut, and there will be no more opportunity. It'll be too late. I want to implore you today, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want you to come. I want you to just humbly ask Him. You know, it's not complicated. One of my favorite prayers in the Scripture It's prayed by a man, and he simply says, God, be merciful unto me, a sinner. You don't have to be, it doesn't have to be complicated. You don't have to go through a 12-step program to get right with God, wherever you are. You don't have to be in a church building. You can call on God wherever you're watching this right now. So I'm going to lead you in a prayer. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, if you're fearful, if you're wondering, you know, what's going to happen? Well, we're instructed just to live one day at a time. And I'm going to be praying for you. You pray for us. The church doors may be closed, but the church is alive and well. Let's don't miss what God is speaking to us in these last days. If you don't know the Lord as your Savior, pray this prayer with me. Heavenly Father, I call on your name. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I repent of my sins. I change my mind. I change my heart. God, I ask you, I believe that Jesus died and he rose again. I ask you to send the Holy Spirit to live inside of me. I call on the name of the Lord, and I believe that I am saved in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, I want you to reach out to us. Let us know. Church family from Deep Springs, know that the deacons and I are praying for you. We love you. If you need anything, don't hesitate to ask. And any of our Facebook friends who might not go to Deep Springs, if you don't know the Lord and you want a relationship with Him, or if you need prayer, reach out to us, and we'll be glad to pray with you. Until next time, God bless you.